companies are losing that control that they used to have over the physical environment, right? So now the only control that's left is that your company people actually want to work for. Welcome to episode 46 of The Future of Work, the podcast that looks at every aspect of work in the future. And as always, it's brought to you by Wanda for their blog, Chaos and Rocket Fuel. We release two podcasts each month featuring industry experts and thought leaders discussing how work is changing and evolving. I'm Doug Folks, and this week with Wanda CEO Claire Haydar, we connect with serial entrepreneur and founder of marketing solutions company Kalungi, Stane Hendrickser. Stane has 15 years' experience helping B2B startups scale at speed. His passion comes from helping and seeing both teams and products step up and add value. Today, we jump straight in and discover how marketing has evolved and how large marketing companies are trying to own the entire customer journey. We'll look at one-to-one -one marketing and discuss the ownership of the data produced. We'll get Stain's views on whether there should be more or less marketing tools, and we'll get an insight into his brand new book, T2D3, which pulls on his 15 years experience with B2B startups. Claire, get stuck in. I'd like to actually get into the meat of marketing and, and, and where you are today. Something very interesting is happening in the world of marketing. And a lot of people don't actually know that this is happening unless they are like directly involved in marketing in some shape or form in today's world. The average person out there doesn't really understand the evolution that marketing and specifically marketing technology inside companies is undergoing. What I'm observing is that if you look at major players in the marketing space, companies like Adobe, companies like Salesforce, companies like HubSpot are basically engineering their acquisition strategy. So looking at the companies that they're acquiring in order to grow their market share, they're engineering those acquisitions around owning the customer journey inside a company from beginning to end, okay? So the average person on the street, if you go and say to them, you know, what do you know about Adobe? Most people just straight off the bat, if they're not involved in, in marketing, will say to you, oh, you know, Adobe is the company who has Photoshop and, and all of these other tools. Whereas today, Adobe is so much more than that and is truly on a mission to own the entire customer journey. Is my assessment correct or do you see it any differently? Marketing almost falls into two parts when you think of the, the major players and how both of those sides are evolving, uh, Claire. One, I think, is the technology side. So I'll comment on some of the, the trends you, uh, you just mentioned. And then there's the other side, which is the content, the art and how art gets created for, from the written content to the video and how that's evolving. And they're almost two different things. And so the content side makes it now so that I think every marketer or every company that wants to be taken seriously, that wants to win, that wants to scale, has to acknowledge that you, you are kind of what you create. And unless you create 
relevant stories, relevant insights, write those up, make sure your audience understands them. You ask the questions, who's it for, what's it for, and try to solve real problems. Then it's very hard to be successful. So that's one side, kind of the content part is very important. And HubSpot and Marketo and Adobe, et cetera, don't help you with that. What they do, they create kind of this, I call it the one commercial operating system for an organization that is now for very good reasons, centered around the customer journey. You could argue, Claire, that it should be even more centered around the, the journey of an individual. And in B2B, those individuals, of course, represent organizations or companies. So multiple people probably are what you would call you know, the business that you market or sell to. But in the end, one-to-one -one marketing, the, the, the phrase even was coined in the late 80s, early 90s by... Tom Siebel or someone in the early CRM days, right? Uh, Jay Curry, maybe, who wrote the first CRM book. And if you think of it, that even today, Claire, with modern CRM tools, uh, Adobe buying 55 companies and trying to make it all into one plot platform and, or, and Salesforce doing the same with Pardot and Exact Target, none of them has really succeeded in making sure that when you arrive at a hotel, and you're a platinum guest, that they actually remember what pillow you used the last time. And so this whole notion of one-to-one -one marketing, which is not new, right? With all these technology acquisitions, and, and it's, I think at Wonder, you, you focus on another part of that, right? How the world of work is also very technology dependent these days, and that they're also the unification and the uh, and the the all those technology sort of amalgations and APIs don't really solve the main problem of people just getting more productive. The same is true on the marketing and sales side. I think Adobe, Salesforce, uh, they, can, they can market that you can buy one platform, but you really can't. Uh, th those systems really don't work that well together yet. So now you get a new category of technology called CDPs, Customer Data Platform Software, right? You have these new companies, companies like Segment, um, that don't do anything else than pull all this data in and, and turn it into some kind of BI tool set and allow you to follow that customer journey or the user journey, as I like to say, uh, because the Adobe's of the world have, have had a hard time actually solving that, even while they own the marketing tool set and the sales tool set and the customer success tool set. So we're very far from Nirvana there, uh, but things, of course, get better all the time. Right? You mentioned HubSpot. HubSpot is one of the few in that space that has built their own CRM for all the phases of the customer journey. So for marketing, for sales, for customer success. So you don't have to connect multiple systems. That's a huge win. Um, then the big concession that you do there is that HubSpot is not as complete as a lot of the tools that Salesforce, Marketo, and Adobe have in those specific areas. HubSpot is a little, little simpler, uh, and for small companies, typically it's enough, but it's not as, you know, as capable as Adobe or um, or Salesforce. But uh, yeah, this is a whole podcast in itself, um, Claire. But the the technology is moving fast. It's solving a lot of problems that it couldn't solve a year ago or ten years ago. But we're still very far away from fulfilling that original dream of one-to-one -one, uh, marketing and sales. If I put you on the spot, Stane, how long will it take? <laughs> you said the first book was written, what, in the 90s, obviously speeding up all the time. Is it a, a year out, two years out, five years out? I, there's a huge parallel, I think, with the work that you do at Wonder, um, Doug and Claire. 
the technology is not going to solve everything. <laughs> and just like whether you use Rike or Microsoft Office or Slack, you know, you still need leaders that who know how to use what tools for what and how to not let the tool dominate, you know, how they either organize a team or, or lead a company. And the same is true here. I think if a marketer and a sales leader you know, still put the, the, the customer and the user at the center when they use data, you know, to make sure they can service them better or get more relevant content out to them, then I think you can get a lot of those things done today. But I think it will take 10, 20 years, maybe forever, that companies will fall in the trap of believing that the technology is the, it will do everything. And the IT department can, can buy the marketing and sales platform that will solve for every organizational challenge. And, and as long as companies will think of that, then that problem will never completely go away. Um, but you know, we're making a lot of progress. And I think, it, and it's the same, I think, in the new world of work with a lot of productivity tools that access to data and tools becoming smarter with machine learning to get conclusions out of the data and insights will make it easier and easier for people to harness these tools without having to put a lot of extra effort in. If you look at, as you say, if you look at what's happening in the world of marketing and you look at what's happening in the world of work, there's two very parallel paths that are being run. You know, So you have companies like the Microsofts, et cetera, the Oracles, the SAPs, who are trying to own that either the customer journey from a production perspective, so that's like the Oracles and the SAPs, or um, they're trying to own the customer journey through the employee journey from an actual work tool perspective. So that's like the Microsoft, you know, in terms of let's own everything that people do on a daily basis. As you say, our hard-earned experience over just the last five years and working with more than 4,000 companies has shown us is that technology doesn't solve the problem. At the end of the day, it is a true collaborative effort between humans on the ground and technology. So it's humans using technology in a very smart way that ultimately you know, makes work work. And if that isn't happening, it's ultimately always going to be a little bit broken in, in, in some shape or form. And so what I'd like to really understand your thinking on is, let's say, as you were chatting to Doug there, that we do get to a place where AI and, you know, these business intelligence tools are able to make us more effective at doing that one-to-one -one marketing. I like the example that you gave there. You know, you check into a hotel and they can actually remember the pillow that you used last time. If you take that example, do you see that there is a need to change the tools that that check-in agent is using to get the work done to enable that one-to-one -one marketing? What well, is a very big challenge, and I have no, no ideas on how to resolve this, but it's been puzzling me for, for the last five, six years. The ownership of the data, whether it's in the case of the hotel guest and the pillow example, or the marketing that we do every day, Claire, buying clicks from Google and spending a lot of money on that. In all those situations, the data is not always owned by the party that maybe should be the owner. 
right? These CDP platform providers that sit on all the CRM data that collect it. What do you actually get in return if you're the business who's feeding them that data? What you often get in return is that you're allowed to pay them to do that for you. And the same goes with, with the Google AdWords platform, right? Which is probably the oldest example. Uh, and there are many like it where the data ownership and the ability to do something with that data sits with parties that maybe are not interested in optimizing the customer journey or the user journey. Because let's use an advertising party as an example. They are not interested in reducing the friction of someone buying your product. They like the friction to stay relatively high because that will make you buy more ads, right? And I don't know, the, the hotel examples may be um, a little easier because I think when a hotel invests in this technology and they're paying a technology vendor to help them make sense of all the data that they gather through their financial system, through their online reservation system, through the, maybe the, the system that the hotel cleaning staff uses to update when and what to do with what room in the hotel. I think you can, you can pay a, a CDP, one of these customer data platform providers to help you do all those things better. But if we don't find a way for you to keep some ownership of that data so they can't sell it to others or just use the insights to then make their product better and sell that to others, I have a hard time really understanding where the incentive really is going to come from to make the journey as easy as it could possibly be today. Uh, because a lot of the actors in that own a lot of the technology innovation are not necessarily incented by lowering to lower the friction. It's a, yeah, it's a hard problem because think of Marketo um, at Adobe or um, Pardot and Exact Target who were acquired by Salesforce to become their marketing uh, platform. They haven't done a great job in sort of integrating those technologies. And, and why not? Why not? Because I think the amount of money they can make by people having to buy more and more of these tools, even when these tools don't work well together, and now you have to buy another one to solve the problem that the first one didn't solve, is kind of inherent in the business model to get more revenue out of each customer. You're completely making sense. I'm tracking with you, but my own brain is is going off in, in multiple directions here. If we go back to first principles, what do you see as an equivalent problem, but not necessarily work or marketing related, that needed to be solved in earlier centuries? Well, one is being solved right now, I think, uh, when you think of modern capitalism. I had, I had to wrap my mind around this in the last couple of months, Claire, but why is it good to have more than one cryptocurrency, all these new tokens that pop up, uh, tokens that are the proxy for getting food or calorie token. <laughs> and, and you wonder, wh wh why do we need that? I mean, in Europe, all the fiat, you know, the, the, the Belgian franc and the Dutch gilder and the German mark became the euro because it just makes everything easier, right? Everybody can transact easier. So why in the cryptocurrency world do you see it almost go in the, in the opposite direction? Instead of everybody saying, okay, let's just standardize on Bitcoin and everybody will have, it will be so much easier for everybody to use this as one currency. Now you see all these derivatives um, pop up. And the reason I think is that modern capitalism doesn't solve the biggest problem of today's um, society, that wealth is distributed completely in, in a very unequal way. And as long as all 
financial metrics in our society are connected to those to the dollar, for example, then you know, someone who's extremely rich will stay extremely rich. And I think what happens now with all these new cryptocurrencies, they, they almost on purpose try to decouple them from each other. So when you earn tokens that give you access to food, for example, those are not exchangeable for the token that you have that is your financial value, financial worth. And so to answer your question, I think that's where society and, and, and developers and people who embrace some of these new relatively fringe uh, developments in cryptocurrency to solve some of these problems because the companies are, and, and in the case of the financial institutions, uh, the big banks are not going to solve it for us. Just like I don't think <laughs> Salesforce or Adobe uh, or Microsoft for that matter have the right incentives, Google, to make it really easier to follow the customer journey, the user journey, and make the content more relevant and allow them to uh, lower the friction in their journey when they when they communicate with us or, as providers of information of products. So I think there has to become some, some kind of groundswell of innovation that is not necessarily led by the, and that's where startups come in, uh, Claire. So we should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> because there's no shortage of, of startups in this space. <laughs> Okay, now I really want to hone in on work and I want to take these principles that we've been talking about and I want to talk about work. Do you think work is going to go in a similar direction to cryptocurrency where we're just going to see people starting to work in multitudes of different tools, multitudes of different ways and companies are going to have to build strategies around accommodating all of those Things. Because up until now, the, the tendency in work has been to try and standardize across an organization. That's very much been the bent of particularly large enterprises. It's like, we're a Microsoft house or we're a Google house, you know, or we use GoToMeeting or we use Zoom, you know, and we try to roll that out across the whole organization. Is that a far-fetched dream that's literally breaking down in front of our eyes and what does that mean what does that mean for companies yeah i think you're right you know companies controlling their employees and the tools they use is over it's finally and i think covid you know brought the dead blow in the startups that i work with you know recruiting will never be the same again uh, claire a lot of companies have this desire this hope but i think it's it's decreasing very quickly that they can force employees to get back into the office for example or to work towards certain schedules it's not going to happen it's not going to happen you see it around us right microsoft announced like a date i think in october that everybody had to come back into the office and now they've canceled that <laughs> and they've not walked away from the mandate but they definitely have walked away from providing a date and of course the you know the delta variant etc is the real reason but the underlying reason is that I think companies are slowly starting to realize that, like I have it here at Kalungi, we, we created a day, Friday in the week, Claire, that we call meetingless Friday. We have no meetings on Friday as an incentive for people to come into the office when, when it was safe and everybody got vaccinated. Because we said, oh, it's so fantastic if you can sit around a whiteboard or have lunch together or coach relatively new people in the team and do it in person. And I was, of course, convincing myself that that was a great reason to, to ask. And sometimes even, 
you know, with a little bit of a nudge, <laughs> incent people to come back to the office in person. Also to maybe warrant the, the rent we're paying here downtown Seattle. And the reality is with giving them a full day without meetings, which is a fantastic boost to productivity in general, they can deal with all the tool, the tool spaghetti on Friday to, you know, update their different systems, etc. But it was a nice, you know, initial spike of, you know, everybody got in here and we had some good Fridays, but it's starting to slow down. You can tell people don't want to commute. They want to sit in the environment that they've designed for themselves or they're most productive. We've learned to be super effective over Zoom with all those things that you can now do on digital whiteboards, et cetera. So I think companies are losing that control that they used to have over the physical environment, right? So now the only control that's left is that your company people actually want to work for and where they work with people they want to work with. And in the new world of work of, I think, the next 10 years, the organization that is a hierarchical monolith with tools that are being enforced, an IT department that is more about rules than about empowering people, it's going to go away. I think it's going to go away. And I think we're, all, we're even wondering, you know, how much do you still need like W2 type things? And how do you, well, how do you just make sure that you have people who, who you, you manage like freelancers, although you may pay them in a W2 way because it's just easier for benefits and taxation, et cetera, but where you constantly fight to, to keep people interested, that they want to work, just like you would with a freelancer, right? And if you want a freelancer who's fantastic and you want them to work 100% for you, then you better make them want to work 100% for you. For you right and yeah the projects you're sending their way have to be some of the most exciting work that you've got to actually retain them yeah yeah and imagine i'm going to tell doug what video camera to use right he's not going to get keep stay very excited very fast and and that then goes into tools right yeah, I like to, them to track their hours and not because we don't, it's not for us to check on people, but we don't want to know how much time goes into what type of clients, what type of work. But if I force those things too much, you know, or what communication tools to use, where to store their information and their files, the freelancer of tomorrow who's going to be my, most of my employees is not going to be very excited to do that work very long. Uh, we love OKRs, Claire. We use OKRs because it then allows you to let the, that defines the what, right? Why are we doing the work? Work, that's the objective. What does success look like? That's the key result. And if you define those well, then you've got to let go of the how, right? The activities and what tools people tools people use and how they, how they, when they work, you know, things like where they work. Claire, I'm just going to just jump in here. I mean, because time is getting on and we spoke very specifically about certain aspects of marketing. But I'd like to maybe just talk a little bit about, you mentioned that Kalungi Stain is to maybe talk a bit about what you've done with your past experience. You say you fell into marketing almost. Is a, bit, a little bit about Kalungi and what you do differently with your clients. What we found in working with smaller software companies, and this may, may have been a little bit building on the, the topic we just touched on, it's very hard for a small software company to pay the same amount of money to talented people that the Googles of the Microsoft can, right? So competing for talent is hard. And then when you are small, you, you have a lot of needs because you need to build, build your brand, build your website, build your marketing automation system, deal with all those different tools that don't work together very well. And getting access to people who've done that before is almost impossible for small software companies. So Kalungi is, is solving for that problem, Doug. We basically have a small team closing in on about 100 people 
that are specialists in all the sort of 15, 20 areas of marketing that every software company needs from design to marketing automation, to content creation, to data analytics, and give them a little bit of all those things because they cannot afford full-time talent in those areas and they don't need it for, you know, when they're still that small. So Columbia, Columbia solves for that. And it's, it's basically also a combination of my 10, 15 years of working with B2B SaaS startups and turning that into kind of a list of things you need to do, a playbook. Even wrote it up in a book that was just published that's basically just showing companies what to do in what order to get started with their marketing and sales when they're a small software company. So in essence, it's, it's almost like an outsourcing model. So a startup company without that experience would outsource to you because you've got the experience and the, and the skills. Yeah, the other thing that frustrated me as a marketing consumer as well, when I bought marketing agencies time or, or hired marketing freelancers, is that while marketing is so measurable these days, it's very hard to find companies or individuals who want to, who, who are comfortable being paid for results or pay for performance. So that's the other thing that Columbia tries to do, to say, hey, if you allow us to control all the variables, both do the marketing leadership and do the execute the work, then we'll sign up for results and you'll pay us part of our retainer uh, only when those results get achieved. And for me, again, this is the dot connecting piece is saying you guys are, are owning the marketing journey, which ultimately impacts the customer experience that's being created. So we, as a customer of yours, Wonder is a customer of Kalungi, you essentially are owning right now because you work so in such tandem step with our sales team and even our finance team that you guys collaboratively together are owning our customer journey. And what we're starting to do as a company is because there's such an integration, if you can call it that, between you guys as a marketing team and our sales team, and because that customer journey is so well-defined, we're now able to stay, take a step back and say, well, how do we optimize our employee journey according to that? You know what I mean? So together with you, we're creating very specific customer outcomes. And then what we're doing as an organization is we're now looking at that and saying, okay, well, if we want the customer to have this experience at this point in their journey with us, how do we build the team around that? And for me, ultimately, that, that is the beauty of the future of work is that companies, because of how everything has been disrupted, are able to take a step back and say, what is our ideal customer journey? And what is our ideal employee journey to meet those customer outcomes? And for me, that's an incredibly exciting place to be in. Yeah, I think you're right. We, um, we are trying to help your team in a way that is so helpful that you may not even need um, employees to do some of that work, uh, right? And that you can start with that new world of work being partly done by freelancers who are just focused on delivering the results. Um, I wonder at what point in time, by the way, Claire, the word employee needs to be redone. Uh. <laughs> Interesting. 
interestingly, on this point, I was actually having a discussion with my brother-in-law this week about it. Um, I don't know if you ever read Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Mm-hmm. Long time he's ago, just, yeah. Yeah, he's just brought out another book about culture. And he actually takes a very deep look, um, highly recommended, by the way. I think you would really enjoy it. He takes a look into all the way back how the concept of slavery actually has defined and underpins what is today employment. And the big question mark is, does that need review? If you look at what some people charge on Upwork and on Fiverr, Claire, or in South Africa, right? I work with them on the board of a company that has a team in South Africa, and I know what we pay for certain type of talent there. Um, the same in the Kalungi team. We have people in South America that are paid, of course, very differently than someone who's in New York. And dealing with that question, right? How, why are we still doing that? Well, because we can. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but should we? Right. And on the other hand, I also know that if you pay someone in a small village in Guatemala, the same as you pay someone in Harlem, New York, that's not necessarily good for for all parties either. Right. But it is a very interesting question that will resolve itself, I think, in the next 10 years. How, yeah, modern day slavery is, I think, still, you know, embedded in some of these um, new platforms where work gets distributed and gets assigned. Uh, I'm not going to compare Upwork or Fiverr you know, to slavery, but there is, when you think of how conditions are being managed and how we allow people to do work for what type of compensation, I bet you there are instances, if you, if you lift up some of the covers, that are not the way we want those things to be. Stan, we've, we've really gone all over the place. But there's a few key things that, that I've pulled out of our conversation is that there's that very refreshing reminder based on your experience that technology doesn't solve all the problems. It, it very often sets out with the mission to solve the problem, but ultimately there still remains a very real part that human beings play in this collaboration with technology to solve problems. And there's a very real exciting opportunity that companies currently face in that they have the ability to completely reinvent how they're serving the customer and defining that customer journey with their company. And in turn, they have this very exciting opportunity to redefine their employee journey. The one key thing going right back to the very first part of our conversation is that if I look at your life experience and, and how you've sort of without intention tumbled into the various parts of your career is that it all started with a point of curiosity. And I think there's something very specific that companies can take out of that. If, if companies embrace a curious mindset right now at this point in time, I think some very interesting things can happen. The word curiosity is probably one of the most powerful words when it comes to values, employee engagement, you know, it allows people to level up, to have real ownership, to ask why, right? All those things start with curiosity. Yeah, it's fantastic. Fantastic work to end on, Claire. Just before we do end, I think it's only fair. Did you know, Claire, that Stain is just about to publish his, is it your first book? 
You mentioned it there briefly. Yeah, yeah, but, it is. Um, yeah, it's yeah, called yeah. T2D3. And I read in the forward that it's inspired by the work that you've done and the team at Kolungi. Can you maybe just give us a 30-second 30, 30 pitch on, on what the book's about, who it's for? Glad to, Doug. Yeah, we actually officially finished the first edition yesterday. Uh, so it is now uh, going through the motions of getting into the Amazon bookstore. So that should appear there in the next couple of weeks. It's for people who like to build software companies. It dives specifically into the world of marketing, a little bit of sales, customer success, but really the, the second part of scaling a company, that's where the acronym T2D3 comes from, tripling your annual recurring revenue two years in a row and then doubling it three more years in a row. And it's what typically happens after companies reach product market fit and they get external funding or they become profitable and they want to really go on this fast growth uh, trajectory. And T2D3 is an extremely hard um, growth curve to hit, but it is the aspiration of most of the B2B SaaS companies we work with. So that's what the book is about, um, Doug. It's for people who work at these companies, people who run these companies and people who invest in these companies. Um, and it's mostly just writing up what we did in the last 15 years, what we learned. And a lot of things, you know, don't do as we did, do as we say, <laughs> because not a, a lot of these things didn't go well the first time we did them. Best of luck with that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, Doug, I'm, I'm very happy that you did bring that up because we're a customer of Kalungi and hence stay. I regularly in our quarterly connects where Stane connects with us, I'm picking his brain on this whole 2D, 3D thing. <laughs> so I regularly, I'm definitely going to be reading the book to just dive deeper into the concepts that he's regularly teaching us as a, as a customer. And with that small plug for his book, we'll end episode 46. Thank you, Stane. Remember, you can catch us on Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts and Wonders website. That's WNDYR.com. From Claire and myself, bye for now.